Our one, holy, almighty God, most perfect in essence and magnificent in your triune nature, manifest yourself in fire, wind, and purity so your people might hear, understand, and grow in faith by the preaching of your word. May your excellencies be plain, your unchangeable nature be seen, your eternality be comprehended by your people who belong to you by the sacrifice of the Son as they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Almighty Father in unity, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to let you know a couple of things, first of all. Um, We almost were not here this morning because we were on our way back to Pickerington from Costco and past Easton, headed towards the airport, 670 exit, traveling at about 65 plus miles an hour, plus or minus. (laughs) I try to stay within the speed limit because I know the lawbreakers are lawbreakers. But we were traveling, chatting, and all of a sudden a black Mercedes stopped on the freeway. Four car lengths ahead of us. There was a car to our left two cars to our right and I slammed on the brakes as my wife was instructing me as to what I should do (laughs) being helpful as she always is Uh, however with the limitations of space and the speed at which we were traveling I had to quickly whip it to the left because we would have wound up in the back seat of the Mercedes. Uh, Nevertheless, we were guarded well and we made it through that obstacle. Yeah, rather. The other thing that occurred was on Memorial Day this year, it will go down as one of the most momentous days of our family history because it was not only a wonderful time of relaxation, but it became a time of celebration and revelation for our family. As some of you may know, I never knew my father. And because of my age when my mother died, I had no opportunity to question her as an adult about my roots and what he was like or anything like that. So Lynn had wanted me to pursue an active search for him, much more active than I had been doing, especially during the 1990s. So I was engaged in attempts to find out who he was, where he was, and what manner of thing. I had heard that he had been in the Air Force, but that was all I knew. So there may have been some people at Lockbourne that had known him. But 
We found out during the 1990s that the military records depository in Kansas City had caught on fire, so all those records are, no longer exist. They are absolutely gone. There's, they can't replace them, they can't reconstruct them. So I said, okay, that, that takes care of that. So with a few exceptions, the enterprise was put on hold until around 2017 when Ancestry.com put their DNA thing online. And long story short, uh, Monday, Lynn convinced me to go on Ancestry and do a deep dive into the database there. Well, it turned out that my profile on Ancestry had received several emails from people saying that they were my cousin, that they were my relatives, first cousins, and this and that, and they knew who I was. And uh, one of them said that they knew who my brother was. You know, I, I don't believe in halves, because uh, my sister was my half-sister, so she's always been my sister. Uh, so I've got a brother. Five hours after we examined the six or seven emails that were in there, we were on a Zoom call with two cousins and my brother, and I start to find out answers to questions I've had my entire life. Uh, my father's full name, which I had thought it was, but I didn't quite spell it right all the time, was Robert Reed Watson. My brother's name is Robert Reed Watson, Jr., his son's name is Robert Reed Watson III, and his grandson is Robert Reed Watson IV. So, we have family. So, we're probably going to have a family reunion sometime in the next year. But I said all that to say, this does actually have something to do with the Book of Romans. What? Quite a bit, actually. Because if you recall in my last sermon, we spoke about the internal conflict of the Christian, of the old nature or the sin nature, battling with the new nature or your Christian nature or the nature of the spirit. Well, in many ways, what I had been going through was a battle within myself for information on both sides of my family. I knew nothing about the one but it was important to my understanding of the other that I acknowledge that there are two parts of my family. I was at war with myself between the desire to know about a family that I had no idea existed, except in my mind as a concept, and the thought to leave well enough alone and continue on without the knowledge that I never had and never would have known without taking the first step that I didn't want to take. They reached out to me first. So just as Paul talked about the difference between the law of Moses and sin, so I had to come to grips with the unknown versus the known. What you know and what you don't know. So let's see how this will go forward. Got your pens out? Three words. <laughs> I, 
some folks are ready. So some folks are getting prepared. Okay. The three words for today. Diagnostic. Diabolic. And diametrical. Diagnostic. Diabolic. And diametrical. We begin in Romans 8. Verses 1 to 4. Diagnostic. A characteristic that is of value for a diagnosis. You'll get it as we go along. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sins in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible and is used by many Bible memorization programs because of its importance to the life of the Christian. Yet very rarely do people think about it in context. Remember that Paul has just gone through his dissertation on the hold of the sin nature on one to come out during times in which we are trying to do just the opposite. That is, when we're struggling to do the right thing, it is when we're suddenly beset with the temptation to do the wrong things or the things that we're weakest to overcome. As a result, we hear that voice that comes from the devil that condemns us telling us that we aren't really a Christian because Christians don't say, do, or act in the way that we're acting. In response to this, almost as a reminder that salvation is not based on our feelings or on our experiences, but rather on the person and work of Jesus Christ, Paul reminds us that there is Therefore, no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And that passage in chapter 7 refers to those who are saved is underlined by these verses in 1 Corinthians where he reminds us of this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Pay attention. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But 
we have the mind of Christ. Remember that he said, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And we know that the sinner has no thought of what he is doing that goes against God's law because it's foreign to them. And they have no thought of it because they're sinners. That's their natural state of affairs. It's not that they have no desire for noble action or doing right things, but they are constantly and always bent towards sin at every turn and have no desire or no inclination to attempt to please God or to abide by his divine law because it's foreign to them. But for the Christian, pleasing God is not only a desire, but an aspiration, which is why the guilt of failure affects the believer so greatly that self-condemnation can be an obstruction to spiritual growth, which is why Paul emphasizes the fact for the believer that there is no condemnation. The word used there is katakarima, which is a noun which means condemnation or punishment, a transgression that leads to condemnation or a condemning sentence. A guilt-pressing occurrence. But why is there no condemnation? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And because of the law of the spirit of life setting us free, we are able to do by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection what the law itself could not possibly do. The word that is used there is one that can mean impotent, unable, powerless. And in other places in Greek literature, it means impossible. So what he is saying is, There is in no way the possibility for the law to enable you to either keep its rules or to justify you because it's your faith in Jesus Christ that you have already fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law because Christ's active and passive obedience becomes ours with our union with him. When we become a Christian, we are united to Jesus Christ by his spirit who comes to live and dwell within us. And we are his and we, he is ours. Verses five to eight. Diabolic. Diabolic. D-I-A-B-O-L-I-C. Having to do with the devil. As opposed to diabolism, the character or condition of the devil. Verse 5. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. I'm going to read that again. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me say those last two verses again. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is where Paul sets about to show the real difference between Christians and those who don't know anything of Christ. And you would do well to take this into consideration as you go about your day-to-day life. The person who lives according to the flesh lives their life in pursuit of the fulfillment of those appetites, pursuit of wealth, pursuit of power, pursuit of even success. They have no interest in God, humbling themselves before God, or acknowledging that God is in any way having anything to do with any aspect of their everyday life. God means nothing to them. Therefore, their minds are always consumed with the quest for this, for This, that, or the other thing that they believe will bring them either a conquest, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of entitlement, or a revelation of the meaning that they are in search of in place of understanding what they are truly meant for. It is not those who have been born again who are better than those who have been who have chosen to ignore the revelation of God. It is that they understand that they are sinners that have been recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, because they are sinners saved by grace, covered by his blood, it's not their righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to them by the blood of Jesus to our benefit. So a person who is interested in the things of the flesh is consumed with their acquisition, retention, and expansion. They cannot help but be focused on the very things that to them seem all-consuming, but are in fact obscuring to them the truth of what God has for them because the God of this world has continually 
put a veil over their eyes to the possibility of being used to God or for God. This is why those who are outside the church are hostile to the things of God. They cannot understand them because they cannot understand the things of the spirit. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And in addition to that, self-deception is the rule of the day for those who ignore the works of God. Always remember, people outside the faith cannot understand the faith because they have no spirit of the God who gives them faith. So their wall is always up and they can't see over the wall. They can't see around the wall. They can't see through the wall. But when a person who has been outside the faith comes to faith, they suddenly have a new understanding of how and why and what ways the world works because they see the finger of God in everything they had ignored previously. Amen. Romans 1, 18 to 20 tells us this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You ever wonder why scientists have a hard time believing in Christianity? It's because they think that they have everything figured out. But if you figure, if you follow science in any way, shape, manner, and form, you will note that about every five years, a different theory comes along to replace the theory that they used to have on how old the universe is or how much mass there is in the universe or how many neutrinos there are in this particular set of subatomic particles or whether or not dark matter is a thing or whether it's just their imagination or if their calculations have figured out how big the universe is and whether dark matter is really matter or if it's just their figment of their calculative imaginations. Yeah. It takes a whole lot of faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. I know it does. It does. I have too much faith to trust in science but I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution because the mathematical calculations for evolution to be true are astronomically large and there aren't enough numbers to make them writable which is why they use scientific notation all the time. All around them are the signs of the glory of God, yet they refuse to see them. And because of this, they're lost. And the text emphasizes that those who are in the flesh have no 
capability, capacity, or ability to please God. The words there are udinamai, which is the negative form of the word for power, you know, dunamis. And they can say by using this that those persons have absolutely no power, no way, no ability to please God. So it's a negative form of power that says they cannot please God in any shape, manner, or form. It's impossible. So, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, diametrical, diametrical, D-I-A-M-E-T-R-I-C-A-L, designating an opposite, a contrary, or a difference that is wholly so. In other words, a complete opposite. Diametrical. Didn't know you were having a spelling bee today, did you? (laughs) You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul's response here is very interesting. He tells them that you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So this brings up a very interesting thought. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? The the weed and the tares, the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares grow up together, the sheep and the goats come up together, and they are not separated until the end of time. So apparently, there are some people that look like they're Christians who are not really Christians who are in the church. And there are people who act like they're Christians, who aren't really Christians, and they're in the church. And it's not until the end of the age that we know these things. But Paul here is saying, you who are in the church are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Caveat, warning sign, danger sign, if in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So in other words, there are some people who are in the church who don't have the spirit of God in them because they're not Christians, but they're acting like they're Christians because they think they're Christians. The word there's oikeo, which means to dwell or live as in reside. So the spirit has to reside in you. And anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ i.e. the Holy Spirit, does not have Christ, does not belong to Christ. 
cannot act like Christ. And again, he makes the diametrical comparison that if you have Christ in you, although your body is dead because of sin, because the wages of sin is death, the spirit of life dwells in you because of righteousness and not your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. We have to understand Martin Luther adopted the saying in his study of the seventh chapter of Romans that we are, excuse my Latin, I only had one year when I was at St. Charles, but simul ustus et peccator, which means simultaneously righteous and justified. This is the truth of the saints that become New, the cause of the nature of sin in the old man to understand the battle is continuous between the old and new nature. But this is also why believers in the New Testament are called saints instead of sinful saints. We are known by the righteousness of Christ rather than by our shortcomings. God makes us righteous. We have to understand that you cannot be a Christian apart from having the Holy Spirit dwell in you. That is, be called the Holy Spirit or Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God. And that is because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life. We can say that it is he who brings us to life because we believe, when we believe. Our bodies are still prone to death in this life because of our nature, yet our spirit will continue after death with Christ because we go into eternity as spirit until the fulfillment of time when we will receive our new resurrection bodies and then we will be totally like Christ in that we have been raised to newness of life. The physical resurrection of the body is such that at the end of time, at the fulfillment of the book, all of God's redeemed saints will receive a new body. Perfect. No flaws. Able to go from here to there, hither and yon. There will be no limitation for we will be like he is. And if the spirit raised Jesus from the dead, so he will raise you from the dead on the last day. If, in fact, you have believed. It's not because of what you have done to earn your salvation. But rather because of the truth of what Christ has done for you, that you are able to stand on the last day and stand when you are called to account in the body for your deeds, because it's not the deeds that you have done, but rather the deeds that Christ has done to fulfill the law and keep the law that you could not keep. And the righteousness that you could not present to the father to make you able to stand before him at that day when they ask, why should I let you in? Now, think about this. How many 
sinners, when they are being judged, will say, well, you know, I, I, I gave so much money to uh, a United Way and I did these good things and I made sure that this little old lady was able to cross the street one day. Uh, fail. Yeah, that's right. It's not what you do. It's because of what he has done. So, what does this mean for us? It means that we understand that we have been pardoned for our sins, past, present, and future. And that if we want to live with him in glory, we can and will do all that we can to live in the light of the knowledge of the holiness that is still the expectation for the believer. And because we have not merely been pardoned, but also have been adopted into the family of God, the expectation is that you will repeat the words of Yahweh to Moses when he said, be holy because I am holy. Without holiness, no one can see God. And as we delve deeper into these truths, they will become more and more clear as we reach the depths and heights and breadths of the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.